stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, to discuss the rising interest rates and the impact on the economy. And we're going to talk about housing and what's going on there. And also, where should you be investing in this kind of environment? Should you be looking at those housing stocks? I'm going to talk about that. But first, I wanted to bring up that um, the former Fed chairman, Janet Yellen, was just in a conference in Seoul. A lot of people missed this, John, I felt, because I, I kind of only saw a clip of it, and then I had to go Google it because I feel it's interesting to hear what she's saying now. And she said that we are at least three to four rate increases away from the neutral monetary policy, but she doesn't believe the rates will go above five to six percent. That's the interest rates due to then she listed a few things, low productivity growth worldwide, the graying population and the preference for safer assets. So, John, we already have five percent mortgage rates now in the U.S., and when I saw her comments about the five to six, um, then I wondered how much higher can mortgage rates go? Maybe this is the worst of it. Maybe people are panicking about housing for nothing. But housing has seen a real slowdown. I don't know. You're in California. I'm in Chicago. We've seen real slowdown here in Chicago even. So I don't know what you're seeing out there. Well, Tracy, let's let's scroll back to the history of housing starts. And I have them up total new privately owned housing units started going back to 1960 to now. And what you notice is when cycles happen, the typical range of housing starts would go from 1.6 million up to basically close to two and a little above two million a year. So this is, um, now that, just to give you an idea of what this means is, so if you have 150 million units, labor force of 150 million, this is 1%, it's kind of the average range, you know, sticking above 1% is is the additional housing started. So you're just basically adding to the labor force growth, the earning, earn the income earners out there that are growing, right? Yeah. So the basic idea is that what you should expect to see in a 10-year, in 10 years into a long bubble or a long cycle is that we should be somewhere near 2 million units right. right now, or even above 2 million, right? Yeah, for sure. So what you see is from 2015 to now, and this is three, going on four years, four years at 1.3 million. So we are, 2 million would be the number, and 1.3 million is where we've been for four years. Without moving up or down, just very, very gradually pump, bumping up. But really, you can see there's something pushing down from above on this number, and it's not going to go above too far, and it's not going to go, certainly not going to go lower because of the unemployment rate and the size of the population. But the point is, what this tells us is this is a very different restrained housing market. Most people are being pushed into rentals because there just simply can't be that much housing supply out there. And prices have to be very high. So the thing to think about in terms of interest rates in this environment is you're, is you're buying a very constrained supply of houses at a very high level of price. So it's all telling us the same story that don't think the rental market's as soft as you think might think it and don't think all the 
the rentals you see out there are, are not going to get soaked up because this whatever's happened to the securitization markets, the mortgage markets, and to the, 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 the build, ability to build houses, it's no longer the same that it used to be. It's totally different. Yeah, I, I know we've talked in the past about the rentals and they were, you know, in all the major cities, they've been putting up tons of buildings everywhere. And we we discussed whether or not there would be some kind of bursting of the rental market. Um, but here in Chicago, where they're still building another, I think it's 5,000 units this year and another like 5,000 next year, they have occupancy rates on those new buildings, the luxury ones of 94%, which is where it's been the last couple of years. So they're not really seeing that much of a softness. So they keep building. Yeah, this is it. Well, this is this is what you what happens when you take what's probably 800,000 units of housing starts out of the market that would be available now. And you have yeah. to distribute the 800,000 back into some people have to live. So yeah. they're going into rentals. And so the point is, Thinking about this in the context of previous cycles is totally erroneous. There's no question that Dodd-Frank and the way things were dealt with in 2009 totally changed things, and that we're not back to that normal. The new normal is going to be massive uh, shift towards rental living, and we're just going to have to get used to it, unless, unless you think this is trend is not going away. And when you look at it, it just seems so incredibly sideways and so restrained in the data that I cannot imagine anything's going to happen but a sideways motion in housing starts. So why aren't they building more? Isn't it some of it labor? Like they, they, they keep complaining, right. the, the home builders, that they can't find enough labor out there. Right. They can't find the workers. And I think there also is a growing sense from my perspective of the finance that it's easier to get multifamily finance from for for big buildings yeah. than it must be for single family finance to people. And I have to imagine there's something has happened to the way finance works for building construction that the the faucets are turning on for bigger dollar you know construction loans and not turning on for these smaller dollar ones and the other thing you have to think about is is maybe it has to do with the pricing being so high on the housing that's out there and that there's some reluctance on the part of the mortgage lenders to get themselves involved at this time of the market, right? So they say, hey, you know what, let's – we have a rich rental market. Let's lend to that that's got more margin of safety. So a lot of it has to be – deeper down into the, not anything that's regulatory, but into the decision-making process of the major banks and trying to keep their risks very narrow at this late in the cycle. Now, what about those 5% mortgage rates uh, if you're getting a 30-year fix? Because we're now hitting that level, and it's the first time in seven years, I think, that we've been at the 5%. And I did a little search on what that would mean for people's monthly payments. So I just took like a two bedroom condo in Santa Monica. It's $750,000. And if you put uh, 20% down, which is quite a bit, that'd be 150,000. You would be paying a year ago um, around this time, you would have had a 3.8% rate. And so on the 30 year fixed with all the other, they put like the taxes and all this other stuff in there, it was a little over $4,000. It was $4,079. But at 5%, it's $4,504. That's so, that's over $400 more a month. That seems pretty significant now in, in the, the rising of the rates. 
What do you think that's going to do to the purchasing market, if anything? Well, you know, I mean, it's very hard to think about what's going to happen other than it's probably going to lead to more mortgage innovation and longer-term loans. Right, just like they did with cars, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) Where we now have, like, nine-year car loans. Right. I expect (laughs) that mortgage brokers will go out and and link to the links of loans. And the the other thing I've learned is they put balloon payments where they keep the loans down, payments down for five or ten years, and they balloon up. Which is, so I would expect, again, just like we saw in 08, some mortgage innovation that's, that's, that's going to create a lot of uh, ability to, to work around this problem, but also create this blow-up potential down the road. And, you know, the other thing to think about, 4500 mortgage payment, the only people who are going to want to do that are, are families, right? Right. You know, it's, it's, so anybody who's single isn't going to do this. Yeah, that's a hard. That's only a two-bedroom condo I was talking right. about. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a two-bedroom condo. Yeah. You know, so you say to yourself, the only way that makes any sense is twenty-two fifty a piece. Yeah. And you both, then you can do it, and that's basically the way to do it. But, you know, we're at this point where you say, well, what's going to happen in Los Angeles? What you see is the 405, which is the big interstate between the west side and the, and the inner city, has now been jumped. And there's all these uh, communities, uh, the most notable one being the Inglewood Stadium area. But there's a ton of communities that are now getting housing investment across Los Angeles that hasn't seen in 40 or 50 years. So there is a, a side of this that's quite good. And the same, yeah. the same you see in Chicago where they're building L-stops out to the United Center and people are actually considering right. you know, moving out to the East Garfield Park neighborhoods. Yeah. Because you can start to say, well, I can buy an empty lot or I can get in a new construction out there that's two, 300000 and and ride up the next boom. So there is, um, I think, from an urban perspective, urban gentrification perspective, this is probably positive. And what about housing in terms of the overall economy? You know, I used to write way back in the day when the financial crisis was going on and when the housing was in a bust that we needed housing to come back, to rebound in order to be a driver of the economy because housing has been in the past a driver of the economy. But that never happened, as you just stated with your numbers. We never got back to it being this big driving force. So does it even matter if it slows here? Because I I keep hearing all these people on TV, the talking heads saying, oh, you know, watch out, housing's going to slow. But it never really rebounded. No, I never re- rebounded. What we're seeing the data with the housing starts being stable at about 1.3 million for four or five years is, is that it just like the GDP growth rate, you should be greatly skeptical of anything above two and a half percent growth okay. in GDP because this is not going to come with a cyclical housing lift. It's not, you know, the autos are also not getting bought up. Yeah. Uh, so some of these cyclicality stories are going to tell you that growth rates can't really be more than long-term 2.5 because housing cannot deliver anything right now. Okay, that's so what I, I would, thought. I think yeah. that the, the read-through is that growth rates are, are muddled through, and this is going to be consistent. But I also think it's going to be the case that some of these home builders uh, are making a ton of money because the prices are so high. So if They're... you have supply and you have construction ability and you have ability to, to put desirable homes together, you're making a ton of money right now. Yeah, they're all at um, new all-time highs on their average selling price. Like even Lennar, which has always been considered the like low-cost housing guys, 
they they're up I think over 300,000 on their average home price now, which is kind of crazy cuz they used to be at like 150 or something back in the day. And yeah. now they're up over 3 and then, you know, a lot of the others are up over 4. Part of that is out from your neck of the woods, it kind of skews it if they're heavily invested in in California market. Um, like KB Homes, there's a skewed, I think, a little higher because of California. But but yeah, um, they're they're starting some of their communities at eight hundred thousand now out out in California. So um, I was taking a look at the the housing stacks. What do you think of those here? I I did look at Polte, their ticker is PHM. They're trading at six and a half times right now. They're down twenty nine percent year to date. KB Home. Um, is another one of my favorites. I used to own that one in the value investor. That ticker is KBH. They're at 11 times and they're down 33%. And the, the shares are still on the downward slope pretty much here. Is it still, are the, should I still be sitting on the sidelines with these or is it is it a cyclical play and it has a lot more to drop? Well, you know, I just pulled up Pultyho's PHM and yeah. what you see is it it's, it kept on going like the stock market to early January above 35 bucks a share. And then we, we see that 50% pullback to $24 a share today. Yeah. And this is very consistent with, with the stock market correction and then the, the lack of a rebound in the stocks generally and then the big sink from August to now. Um, my thinking, so I think Pulte is just an example of what's going on with the stock market generally. Yeah. Which is the only way the S&P and NASDAQ have been going forward is the mega cap FANG stocks that are weighing so heavily in in the indexes and driving forward on momentum. But there's been a rolling bear market in stocks, and Pulte is no, no different than any other. Now, if you look at Pulte stock, there's there's a way to think about it is when it got to 35 bucks a share on January 18, which is only, what, eight months ago, nine <laughs> yeah, months ago? Not, not the end of the world ago, yeah, right? Yeah. So we're talking about the same housing market. What happened is... Yeah. I think the shorts, the hedge fund shorts, saw that there were fewer and fewer buyers coming into the stock itself. And when you have a situation, what we've seen all year, where there's just not enough new net buyers of the stock itself because the valuations were so high and all the good stories were put into play. The one big mistake we learned here is that the tax cut was a one-off, and once after that happened, there was a what-can-you-do-for-me-now uh, feeling in the market, and that led to uh, on the margin. And that's where all the trading happens is on the margin. It led to the short sellers being able to take stocks down. And I think Pulte is another example of something that's very interesting happening to the fall. Is I think early August to now, why we saw this big sell-off is the shorts took another piece out of the playbook and said, you know what, everyone's on vacation. There won't be much trading volume. We can continue to short these stocks into the earnings quarter reports, right, when the buyers will come back. Yeah. So I think the midterms and the, and the seasonality of the stock market was also exploited by these same groups. And so I would hesitate to use Pulte or Lennar KB stock charts unless you pull them back like I just did over four or five years and say to yourself, look, you know, now might be a good time to get back in these things and ride them up. And so, again, it's not going to be a technical story. You're going to see the opposite. You're going to be worried about it. But if you start to realize pivots and reversals are going to happen in these markets, Pulte today is up 2.5%. Yeah. yeah. Um, These things can happen. And I would be very hesitant to buy 
the momentum story of 2018 over the uh, fundamentals that these companies are making a ton of money. And so I, I'm personally, I'm not ready to say go buy Pulte, but I think, you know, it's not the dumbest idea for someone who's got enough of a couple of years of right. a horizon here. Yeah, the longer term outlook. Right, yeah. The shorter term, couldn't tell you what's going to happen in six months, but over right. a year or two, for for sure, it, it's looking pretty attractive because I think the shorthand has been overplayed here. Now, what about some of the big companies that have a lot of debt? There's been a lot of talk in just the last couple of days about Netflix, ticker NFLX, of course, where some of the analysts are worried about their debt level with these rising rates now. And they're one of the ones who, you know, they're spending $10 billion on content every year or whatever and taking out debt to do it. What about stocks like that? Are those a worry for the average investor now? Should I be watching, you know, the debt of what I own? You know, I've really become convinced um, of the incredible lack of fundamental insight that's being involved in this stock market. That is so trend-following and trend-specific. I'm very skeptical of anybody actually thinking about, in a quantitative way, that the the leverage that's in Netflix versus just watching the stock price go up and, and betting on it keep continuing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, from a cyclical perspective, if we get um, something shocking out of the trade wars and we get a big spike in risk premiums, that's where you get this thing to crash in on everybody. Um, but I think you need more than just piled up debt to do it. I think you need a spike in risk premiums. Okay. And so I would say that what you need here is some type of contagion in the international environment. You're seeing enough pressure on the international environment. You're seeing enough people staying out of international stocks, enough poor growth, that if something blows up, it will spiral its way into corporate debt markets from there. Right. Okay. Right. But I wouldn't think corporate debt markets on their own are going to blow up, but they will blow up. And these problems will emerge if all of a sudden there's big risk premiums and big and big and big defaults happening in banks and stuff as a result of a lot of exposure elsewhere. What do you think of the banks right now as investments? Because they've been they're being shunned. I like to say, <laughs> even when they report good earnings, uh, the shares seemingly go down. And there's some that are you know uh, really great regional banks like Comerica that just reported. That's the ticker CMA. And then I I like the big wealth private wealth management bank in San Francisco, as long as the economy is still humming along. That First Republic is its name, FRC, but nobody else seems to like these banks at the moment. Should should I be looking at the banks for opportunities too? Well, this gets to the other question of the 2018 stock market and how absurd it's been versus the 2019 one that might come up to play, right? Yeah. And so, so I, you know, I, I in large cap trader, we've, we've gotten into Morgan Stanley, which is up 5.5% okay. again. Okay, yeah. A great earnings report. Yeah. They've beat, on the average, 15% over the last four quarters. So, again, the market could care less about that. Right. Right? <laughs> um, so, and again, that, that so, is very irrational. Right. That's why it's driving me crazy that everybody's... Right. Ignoring yeah, the and, it's, and this is this is what has to be happening here, which is we have to have something happen in 2019 where people start to pay attention to fundamental performance of stocks as well as it pertains to the stock price. And if that happens, the banks are going to be a prime candidate for for a boom. But I'm not saying that's going to happen because we have enough irrationality; it can go on for another year. You but if rationality time. comes back, and we'll start to see it. 
in some rotation or pivot, then, yeah, the banks have to be one of the major places. I don't mind hanging out in the banks waiting because I do get a dividend usually with most banks. And they haven't been real volatile. They just haven't been going up either. <laughs> they're kind of sitting around, you know, but they're not as volatile as some of these other big growth names we've seen sell off. So, or even at the home builders, for instance, getting hit hard. So, um, so yeah, I don't mind, I don't mind kind of hanging out in them, but it's good to know that you're eyeing some of those for, for large cap trader there too. Um, what yeah, else yeah, are you I looking think, you know, at? who's a big value investor who has one of his yeah. worst years ever this year. I know. I know. he's in value stocks. I know. This is absurd, right? This is absurd. Yeah, the value yeah. is really taking it on the chin this year. Value. Right. And yeah. this is the case of an irrational stock market where people are saying, hey, I want to make, you know, a 60% return, 50% return on Amazon over six months. I don't really care about well, Morgan Net- Stanley. Well, Netflix, despite these new worries about its debt, is still up 69% year-to-date. <laughs> and that, that's the scary story here because uh, these, these P.E. ratios of these major mega cap stocks are way out of hand. I mean, yeah. Amazon's P.E. ratio is 135. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon.com makes as much money as Micron, which is now pricing at $43 a share, and Amazon's at like 1700 I know. Well, so people think, oh, you know, I'll just buy more Amazon. I'll go to 2000 But someday, somehow, um, something that's called economic rationality can wander its way into this market again. Yeah. What do you think yeah. of the Chinese stocks, by the way? The, a lot of those big cap Chinese stocks are down, you know, some of them 50% this year. So yeah. they're doing the opposite of the U.S. big, big internet companies. Um, is is there opportunity there or is that too risky? You know, again, what we're seeing here is, is a short, mar- on, on the margin, the shorts are tearing apart these stocks. Yeah. And, and, and to say to the shorts that they're going to start paying attention to anything, is not to understand shorting. They can keep going until they stop shorting them. And so the problem with the Chinese stock story is you can't be early, and you probably, you know, the line, the lesson I've heard long ago I kind of like, which is most money is made between the 30-yard lines. Right, right. Meaning don't try to time this spot them and don't really care. Just get in late and ride it up when it turns. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the answer with China. I mean, I've bought and sold shares in China, and the main thing I've learned is come in at the 30-yard line and get out for a field goal at the 30-yard line. Okay. And never on any good. touchdowns. Yeah, right? that's that's some good advice because I know some people trying to buy and hold the Chinese stocks, and that hasn't been working. No, I don't think you can because there's too many retail trend followers, and then there's too many big brokers that are selling share short and then just kill them. And I've never seen you, know, you watch the YYs, the ten cents, the Alibabas, they yeah. just go pinking around. And they shouldn't, but they do. And so you might as well recognize that this is what's going on. It's just become kind of a casino environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Are there any out of those Chinese names that you would say that you're keeping an eye on at all? Like, is it Alibaba? Should I just go for, like, the biggest, best-known name? Yeah, I think you should. Okay. When this thing turns around, don't be a genius. Just... Just by right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice. Don't be a genius because I think t- people do overthink it a lot. I've learned my lesson myself that I try to put in all this time picking you know, out of favor names and whatnot, and, yeah. and it's not how the markets have been working. They're 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 really blunt instruments that are really not a terribly insightful. Yeah, and you just gotta just stay between the thirty yard lines and stuff like that. Yeah, and buy the big big names and play the game. 
Well, this has been a good discussion. Um, I'm definitely will have you back on again, certainly as we get closer to the end of the year, so we can discuss what's going to be going on in 2019. That's always a good episode to have you on because you always have these good insights. So let's recap those tickers again. So if you're interested in the home builders, there's Pulte, P-H-M. KB Homes is K-B-H. I think we mentioned Lennar. I think that's L-E-N. Is that right? I think so. And Netflix, if you're interested in some of the momentum, is NFLX, of course. And then we we mentioned some of the Chinese, Alibaba, B-A-B-A, I mentioned a few of the banks. Comerica um, is one of my favorite regionals. That's CMA and First Republic for that private wealth management type of bank, FRC. So be sure to tune in every week here on the Market Edge so that you don't miss a single episode. We're always giving you stocks and insights into what's going on out there in the stock market and in the economy. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. You can get us on either one. And I'll be back again next week with some more stocks.